Welcome, everybody. This is Documental Healing the American States of Mind. I have a real treat for my audience today. I am here with Ryan Brown, who is a cowboy, but he's also the founder, the artistic director, and uh, the conductor of Opera Lafayette, based in Washington, D.C. And his friend and colleague, uh, both on horseback as well as um, as a community musician, this is Lynn Lewis, who runs a ranch with her husband outside of Mancos, Colorado. Uh, which, are you guys in the Rockies or the San Juans? Where are you actually located? The, the La Plata's. Um, the La Plata's, okay. Yeah, southwest part of the, the San Juans. Oh, that's so beautiful there. So beautiful. So why are we speaking with a cowboy and a cowwoman um, on this, on this series and the reason is because uh, thanks to COVID, um, well also many of my, my audience members know that I'm a classical music critic and I normally would, this would be the season and I would be um, reviewing a lot of programs including um, Opera Lafayette's version of The Blacksmith which is a French comic opera and um, that didn't happen so instead the uh, Opera Lafayette took the opera to the Cowboys directly and performed the blacksmith on a ranch with the audience sitting on hay bale, bales. And uh, it's going to be streaming in November, so mid-November. And um, we'll definitely make sure that everybody gets um, access to the, to the links and all of that sort of thing. But the reason I wanted to have um, Ryan and Lynn on the show was because there are so many overlaps between um, there's an intersection, I think, between opera and being a cowboy and American history and the sense of democracy. And also, as we've already been discussing with um, Tim Nelson from InSeries, this idea that um, performance art can be a way for a community to uh, have a ritual together, to heal something, to come together, to grow together. And you guys have already done that and it went really well apparently. So um, let's start there. Could you um, talk to us a little bit about what the blacksmith is and and then how you adapted it for a ranch? And welcome, by the way. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Whitney. Um, I should probably demur and, and say, I don't know that, I, I mean, I've been coming here all my life and my grandparents ran this place, but I, I may be a rancher, whether I'm a cowboy, I'm not quite so sure. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> I, do, I do work with the cows that are out in the field, but. Um, I just I just put your estimation with, with people way up here. That's all right. <laughs> right, I've got to bring down the expectations a little bit. But, but, um, uh, but, but it is it is true that this is a, a, a huge part of my life and part of my identity. And, and as is being um, a musician, and this was the first opportunity uh, first time I've got, sort of combined those lives, and and the reason I thought this was the time uh, was because uh, Opera Lafayette's done a lot of these um, what are called in France opera comiques, which are really musical theater, um, and the spirit of them in the 18th century was it was a reaction against the um, uh, the more uh, longer, more complicated operas which were happening. Um, in in Europe that were uh, had their characters were historical figures or mythological figures 
and people were getting tired of that and it was getting stale. And so out of the fairs of Paris, out of the popular fairs in Paris came this kind of um, this new form, which was essentially musical theater where they'd string together um, uh, stories and vignettes about uh, regular people, you know, um, blacksmiths, um, uh, bakers, butchers, you know, saddle makers. And they would um, put uh, words to popular tunes and put together a story and gradually serious composers thought, this is great. I'll write all the music for it and we'll still have the popular songs in between. And, and um, the, the, they got, uh, it got to be a really a dynamic uh, form of, of opera and music, which eventually influenced you know, people like Mozart and in, in his great operas later in the century. But, but the, the spirit of them um, is, is so popular and it's, they're often based on rural themes. And so I thought, gosh, if we just take, instead of using the French folk songs, what if we insert American folk songs and we place it in a pre, um, you know, pre-automobile uh, era, like the 1890s here, when this was this valley was really young. It was settled only by white folks in the in this 1870s, and so um, these characters, whether it be a blacksmith or who was also a veterinarian who also worked on people because he was the only doctor in town. Um, that would have been sort of the situation <laughs> in 1890, and so um, so that's the that's the, the kind of genesis uh, of it as an introduction. But um, so when you um, when you were planning to perform the blacksmith um, pre-COVID, were you um, planning to debut it in Mancos? How do you pronounce the town where you live? Mancos or Mancos? Mancos. Mancos, okay. Um, we're gonna do it, you wanna tell them about where we're gonna do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, Mancos has a, an opera house, historic opera house, and um, it's been recently renovated and um, the new owners are trying to um, get a lot of uh, activity going in there. And this was supposed to be the um, first one, I think that they were gonna have in the opera house. But um, with the COVID, we weren't allowed to have that many people in one closed-in area. So it had to be, if it was going to happen, it had to be out in the open. COVID opened up other possibilities um, to do it um, in front of a barn and outside and um, made it easier, th I think, for some people to think about coming. Mm -hmm. Do you think so? Yeah. Here, here's how I'm hearing this is, um, first of all, it sounds like everyone had so much fun. And here's Lynn, who Lynn's participation in it was she was on stage as a guitarist. She was one of the um, the people that you recruited in the community to be on stage and to help actually perform because you didn't have all the musicians there with you. And um, you were using vernacular music as well, as you've indicated. So American folk songs and so and music that you would have grown up hearing out west and so forth. But you also had professional musicians and you have professional opera singers. So here's all this fun um, being performed by people who, who are professional at it. And if there's anything that I think opera singers and cowboys have in common is they're both superhuman because the things that they are able to do are, are re 
remarkable and most of us couldn't do it or even conceive of doing it. So you have these people up on stage who are performing for people such as Lynn and her usual uh, cohort of people who are ranchers and you know horsewomen and so forth, who are not necessarily going to be exposed to this level of artistry, but everybody's having a good time. Nobody's isolated. Everybody understands it. They don't need a particular kind of education to benefit from the story. And everyone seems to have had some, some moment of collective joy. And this is kind of what I'm getting at, where I say that this is different than, than audiences in Washington would experience this. Everybody is, if, you know, if you're human, you have a sense, you have a sense of joy, you have a sense of, of humor, you have access to these kinds of human experiences. But what I think you achieved here, based on what I'm hearing, is this way of allowing people to actually participate without worrying that they're not going to get it right or that they need to have done something first to prepare to come. No, this is you show up, you are yourself, and this is about you and about your community. And this is, it sounds like in a way where you're laughing at yourselves as well. And and everybody seems to have gone away with a really good spirit in their heart after having participated. And that's what I'm looking for as a way out of COVID with, with, um, with, with the performing arts is that we not only break down that fourth wall, but we also break down the barriers to access to it in the first place. And I'm wondering how this might change the way uh, you go about performances in, in the future as an opera company. Well, the, um, does what she say resonate with you, do you think? Yes, and I heard so many comments from the audience after every show, you've got to bring this back. Can you come back next year? We want to see, mm -hmm. we want to see mm -hmm. more. So everybody did like it, and and I'm I, you know and of course I'm I, I'm really curious how it's going to play in in Washington and New York when we do get to do it live there. Um, I'm I have high hopes that it's touching something that is that you know even if you're if it, whether you're a, a banker in New York or a lawyer in Washington, you know that that you'll you'll recognize these basic human situations and instincts and and be able to laugh at yourself as well. Um, and I, you know, we've been so interested in Opera Lafayette and in finding, and we believed that looking at old music, if we really look at it and and see how it was done at its when it, when it was done 200, 300 years ago, whatever, that will come closest to the human spirit in it. And I think that there are obvious ways in which we've gotten away from that. You know, people go to the opera and they have to read the surtitles. I mean, you know, surtitles were a big thing when you finally got to see in English what they were singing in Italian, for instance. And, and that, that made opera more accessible. Um, but actually doing it in English, we've still been resistant. And of course, the whole industry is such at the Met, you know, you hire an international cast. Can You can't ask them to speak it in English one day and then get hired in Sweden and sing it in Swedish the next day and then get hired in Germany and sing it in German. So we've developed this by having, you know, internationalized opera, we've also made it more distant. Right. And a, a less immediate experience. 
So I don't know what this bodes for us. I think I, I have other projects, which I think at least one, which, which I think could speak to this particular area. Um, there are others which, which definitely speak to more urban situations. Um, I kind of have to, we kind of have to wait and see how the, we, you know, we filmed this too. And so you'll get to see it. Um, and um, I also think that the, I, I'm hoping that it has legs in terms of, I would love to do a rural tour of America with this piece. Um, you said I a think, rural tour. Yeah, I'm tour, a tour in cities too, but I think that, I think that has, is, is a social, uh, 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 you talk about your, your show being healing. And I think, you know, that it has a social role to play to remind us of, of how similar we are. Um, because this, this valley is, you know, like, like the whole country in many ways, it's, there are different populations here. There's an older ranching population uh, and there's a kind of, you know, younger moved in recently artistic, um, not younger necessarily, but newer because many of them are retirees. And there's a, there's a culture clash there. Mm. Um, and yet I, I hope that a project like this did show us how much we're the same rather than, you know, different. And um, so I, and I think that getting back um, that, that as you've as you've said already, I think art has a place, has to find a way, has a place and a role, and has to find a way to do that. Um, and I, I think we I think we hit upon something here, uh, and I'm hoping um, that it has resonance and it has legs, you know. But we'll see. Well, it sounds one of the questions I had for you, and it, it sounds like you were leading there, is that. Um, is your community one that needed healing? Obviously, the United States right now is um, in turmoil, and we are at one another's throats, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So um, I have been looking for ways for us to get past that, and um, that's at the national level, and I, I don't know if... I don't know how that's going to happen, but but probably at the little incremental level. So you have this, this beautiful valley that has been ranched by certain families for generations, including, well, both of your families. And then you have others that are moving in, you say retirees, probably people who are looking for the life they couldn't have while they were doing their nine to five. And, you know, now you're gonna probably have things where you're fighting over water and you're fighting over, you know, um, pl planning and zoning and it's, it's just the way it goes. So can art. You hit the nail on the head right there. <laughs> yeah, so can can something like this be the way that the side that says, you know, no more development, this is where our cattle are going to be, and that's the way it's supposed to be because this is the, bio, the Wild West and that's that. And then the other side that says, but I don't want to live in Los Angeles anymore, and I do want to live out here, and I want to pretend to be a cowboy and wear a cowboy hat and wear my boots and... You know, no judgment on that. It's a fun, romantic way to see yourself going off to the, you know, remaining decades of your life. But do they understand? But you're using the same resources. So does this type of event help those two sides meet in the middle? Well, I don't want to claim too much for it. <laughs> um, I, I think it gives 
those, I think it gives people an opportunity to react to, to, to laugh at the same time, at the same jokes, uh, to maybe, you know, shed a tear at the same, same sense of loss or something. And, and uh, I think that that, um, that that's as much as I, I would dare claim <laughs> for right now. You know, I, I think it, once we, we, you know, well, you know, once, once we start talking uh, specifics, we, we may disagree, but about lots of things and, and um, or the people within who came, you know, might disagree about a lot of things. Um, but there's, I mean, you've hit, as, as Lynn said, you hit the nail on the head on, on, on water and zoning. Um, and the other, one of the things that, um, actually the other opera that I have in mind addresses uh, public land use in the 18th century France and who's, who has a right to be on what land when and where and hunt on it and stuff. And, and I don't know whether it, it, it's a project that could do what this did. It doesn't have the same folk songs in, in, and so I don't know, I, I have to think about it more, but it does hit on a hot button issue out here. And, um, and it's also about a forester. It's about a, a, a forester, and you know that's another big issue out here. Is how do you how do you how do you treat the forests? What do you do with the forests? You know, you got your you can as as um, some some of them say you got. Uh, actually, the logger told me recently. He's he said, well, yeah, they you got either got you got fire, you got bugs, or you got loggers. Choose your poison. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, so, um, I don't know, Lynn, you, you, what do you think? I feel like the audience that came to these shows was very happy and it didn't matter about differences. They all were united in the enjoyment of the performance and um, Everybody that I saw and everybody I talked to, they were all smiles and they were <clears throat> they were happy about what they were there for. And the, even on the last night, we had a horrible wind and it was cold and the, the dirt was blowing on you and, and we couldn't keep our music stands up. And But everybody that was there enjoyed the whole performance. And even afterwards, I was talking with some of the actors and there was a smile on everybody's faces. So uh, yeah, there's a unity there. And I would call it healing. I, not that it's necessarily permanent, but it's the kind of thing we need. Mm -hmm. Interesting that, that, um, that what you're saying, Ryan, is, is that these are topics that are, I wouldn't say eternal, because maybe we will stop as white Europeans looking at the land the way we look at it versus the way you said, you know, before we began this interview, you, you made a mention that the Navajo who live on your farm or nearby needed to take care of some business and you might have to run off to help them. And, you know, they don't look at the land the way that you and the zoning and the water people and all of the fights that you're now having around those resources, they don't look at those Traditionally, the Navajo and the other indigenous peoples wouldn't look at those the same way. So maybe one day we will have completely different ways of arguing with one another and then <laughs> settling it. But 
what you were alluding to though is, is that opera does give us a community forum for dealing with problems in a way that is lighthearted but um, matter you know what we do with our water and what we do with our land and how we feed ourselves and how we um, protect ourselves these are all things that you're going to be dealing with if you're a rancher and if you're you know keeping your cattle safe from predators and if you want the water to come to you and the other people say no we know we need it for the city or we need it for development or whatever these these are things that you can it sounds like deal with in in a uh, in an artistic way and um, be creative with it and maybe help do you think anyway before I tell you this is what it is but it seems like it gives you an opportunity to show people the other side of what people are thinking I think uh, yes I think that's right and I think it's also it's important to show the you know that there's a third way that it's not black and white it's not red and blue but there's there are other ways of thinking and, and I'll just use your example to tell you a little story we did another piece um, which takes place in Louisiana. It has an Indian princess and, and her, her uh, you know, prince who wants, Indian prince who wants to marry her. And then it has a, a Spaniard and a, and, a, um, and a Frenchman colonizers down in Louisiana way back when. And I tried to get an uh, uh, Indian director involved in this. Uh, a little too late, and too, uh, you know, dollar short and a, a day late, but, but nonetheless, she said something I'll never forget. I suggested, you know, we've got this dance scene and why don't we have invert this, the story sort of over and, and the Indian prince and princess get together and, and she rejects the Spaniard and, this, and the, and the, um, and the Frenchman. And so why don't we, why don't we have her on each repeat of this melody? Why don't we have her say, all right, you two can have all that area. And then on the repeat say, well, no, maybe we'll give you that much area. And then on the repeat, oh, we'll give you that much. And then finally say, no, you just go in the corner there. And, um, and I thought, oh, that would be funny, you know, turn the tables on the, on the, on the colonizers. But this woman, uh, this Native American woman said, she just kind of, you know, raised her eyebrows and said, well, no, I mean, why would I want to do that? We, we don't have a sense of private property and ownership. Mm -hmm. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, I felt like that small. <laughs> well, here, I, here I was going to be, you know, you know, f fight the same battle in the same way, but turn the tables. Mm -hmm. But she was showing me that's not the issue. You know, we all, um, and I think that when I think about this ranch, Well, you know, well, I think of it as, as a gift that, that that a lot of people have taken care of over the years. So I think you've you've really um, you have elegantly framed why everybody is so passionate right now in our country about their side. And, and I'm putting aside the people who are just crazy and not willing to come to the table. But the passion is around values. And even though what I'm hearing you describe is about 
an attitude that goes back generations within the the nation of I'm not sure who the Native American woman was or what her nation was, but let's say let's just okay. say it wasn't out here. It was out east. But maybe it was, I don't know, it doesn't matter. I, I won't know. Yeah. So let's say that an indigenous um, person, their attitude goes back generations. We have the attitudes we have. They're just different. Ultimately, one I don't think is sustainable. What we've done with our land is not sustainable. But that doesn't mean we don't love it. And that doesn't mean we don't care for it. And it doesn't mean that we haven't derived a soulful connection with it and ha had it help define us. I think the sad thing is, is that we probably have, as you clearly do with your family's ranch, but then we haven't had a system around us economically or politically to allow us to benefit from that connection in a way that is sustaining and that is enduring and that is regenerative. And I think that that's kind of where we are right, not kind of, it is where we are right now when it comes to this nation is we all have values and our values are meaningful but the resources are finite. And so how do we meet our values head on with finite resources? What's next? And- Well, I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, the, the, you, you hear a lot, you'll read a lot on, on various signs about, you know, how, uh, how cattlemen overgrazed this land at one time. Well, the fact is at, at one time may have been one thing, but, but today, you know, any rancher worth his salt is is thinking in terms of regenerative agriculture, whether or not he's using those words. He's got to use it the next year. It's got to be healthy the next year to keep using it. And and to to have a knee jerk reaction and re and accuse uh, cattlemen of not caring about the land, it just makes no sense because they've got to come back next year, you know, right. and they, they want their kids to be able to do it. And so I think that um, it is, I think that, and and yet, you know, the, the biggest, um, we got a line, I gave a little introduction and, and the biggest line of a, a, a surprise me of, a, of applause I got for a couple of nights was that I said, and, you know, so-and-so, all these families have worked on this land. And of course it used to be Ute land and, and this, and I said, but, and now we've got it in the conservation easement. And of course, you know, most of the, and we've got a lot of people clapped and, and cause I think, cause they all appreciated that on some level. Um, I mean, the fact is, you know, there weren't, there weren't, as, there weren't as many cowboys as I would have liked in the audience. There were definitely some, but a lot of them were just too busy working, you know, <laughs> and, and and couldn't probably couldn't believe that they that there was a, an opera. So I, I didn't know, but but we're we definitely there are a lot of old families here who, uh, uh, in addition to those those newer people, and and um, uh, of course you know some people say they're new if they've only been here eighty years, but. Uh, but uh, <laughs> But, you know, that's, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I straddle that world myself um, in that when I was a kid and coming here, I, I didn't grow up all year. I just came here in the summers, but, you know, some of the local ranch kids would call me a city slicker and, and you know, so. Well, uh, let's talk about that. I'm very curious anyway. I didn't know that your family um, were, um, were cattle ranchers. Um, I mean, I just know you as this very erudite, extremely accomplished musician and, and conductor and an arranger. Um, you and and Nick Olcott's work is is very sophisticated and 
Um, I'm not saying that somebody from, you know, from the mountains isn't going to be sophisticated or have sophisticated musical interests. But how did you get from here to there, from there to here? <laughs> oh, well, I, my mother's side of the family is, is from out here, although my mother's a pianist. Um, and my father's side of the family's out in uh, Northern California. Um, and I was raised during, during the year, went to school, grew up um, in Northern California, where my father conducted the local symphony orchestra. And my mother is a pianist, as I said. And, and I was out here every summer since I was born. And gradually, I've, I've spent more of my life as I've been able to. And, and, um, and I was, when my grandparents died, I, I, and my mother and I were working the place. Um, she, you know, it was, it was hard for her. And so I was the one in the family who stepped up and became the family manager of it mm. and, and tried to, you know, keep it in the family and, and um, keep it going. And, and it's been, a, for me, it's been, a, you know, a, a, both a, a sense of, um, I mean, obviously great spiritual nourishment on, mm. on, in many ways, but, but also it's, it's, you know, it's, you, you, you don't, you don't take some of the, if you know there's an out, you don't take some of the stuff so seriously in your, or you don't have to, you don't have to do the obvious popular thing to get approval in your other career. I, I mean, I, I just, I think it helped me make, it, it helped me um, go a slightly different route in music. And also um, I should say that my grandparents' role here in this community uh, similar to my, my parents in the community out in Northern California um, was, and they were, uh, they, they were very well rooted in each of those communities. And I, I saw the value of that. And, and I don't think it's, you know, some people would say big fish in small pond, but, but I, I think it's much more than that. It's, it's, it's relating to a community on lots of different levels in a way that is harder to do in the city. Um, uh, but obviously, you know, hey, I went to New York, went to Juilliard and, and could only do certain things and learn about certain things in music there. And and when I went from New York to Washington, I could only, it was Washington seemed, seemed like a place that was conducive toward creating a group, you know, mm -hmm. and there's no way we could have paid for this project out here if it weren't for donors back east, you know, um, and and so we're hoping to bring it back to them soon and, and have them uh, have them say, oh yeah, this is a really interesting project on, well, on a lot of levels. Um, I mean, they already have because they, you know, um, voted with their, with their, um, their goodwill and their, and their generosity, but, but um, I'm, I'm eager to, eager to show it to them too. Well, you, you have the unusual, um, um, I don't know, benefit, I guess, of having the dual perspective of being somebody whose livelihood is of the land and land that is fought over and is increasingly fought over because people want to get to it now. The West is dwindling, you know, the wild West, the true West is, is very small anymore because people show up, want to retire there, want to try their legs at being a cowboy, even though I, I think that's, I, I'm not saying that judgmentally, but I am saying it's, slightly mockingly because you know that's not the same thing showing up and and just you know wanting to that's like what I do I show up and I want to pretend that I'm a cowgirl and I I ride and then you know and I learn how to do all the the tricks of the trade but I'm not I'm not a cowgirl and and that's a totally different lifestyle but we're showing up we're moving out there 
And so you you are in the thick of that and trying to preserve a way of life. And then you have the East Coast, which is saying, you know, whatever we're saying here on the East Coast, but it's it's much more focused on 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 money and and um, being the top dog, which I think really what I'm getting at is, is that you have the perspective of seeing both sides of the system that is harming us. And I'm wondering if um, after COVID, after seeing the success that you've had out there with the um, the community where you are, and being so uh, in touch with the beauty of the land and the and the necess the necessity of its endurance and its preservation, do you think it's possible that what you're doing will help bring about a new perspective on that it's not that the American West romance is actually part of the system that's helping to ruin it. And is it possible that through a community sort of ritual such as the one that you've been performing, you can at least bring it back to the East Coast and say, we have to think about doing things differently. And do you think that your audience would be receptive or are they just looking for entertainment? Because we do that here in, in Washington. We just go to the opera to be entertained a lot. Well, I've, you know, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a, I've lived, lived a lot of through art. And I think a lot of people, I think they, I think they do. I, I'm not sure about this overt political stuff. I mean, I've always said that music, you know, people talk about the story because, because, but, but they're reacting to the music, you know, because they don't know how to talk about the music. So, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, but there's and, no, there's no harm in that, right? But but what what's actually affecting them and the, what what they might talk about after performance, and what might seep in? I don't I don't think we really, I don't think we really know that, and for sure. And I don't know how to measure it. Um, and you you just kind of. You just kind of hope. I don't know, Lynn. Do you have something? I, I don't know how you. This. What. What would your. What would your hope be for, for this piece and and going east or or anything? Well, I I think it would definitely present a different perspective and make some people, at least some people, consider changes and and a change in attitude, change in thoughts. The. The disappointing part is it can't reach enough to make the big difference. You know what I mean? Like the people that are rioting and stuff, they're, how can you reach them? But I, I think that it, it would have a very positive effect on the people that do see it. So, you know, it's, it, you don't, you don't always want to. You get sometimes you get too much of a self-selecting audience, yeah. And and yet, um, you know, this was not. This was bringing something to a place that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. People who wouldn't have been able to come to something like this otherwise. And I, I, uh, you know, I hope there's there's someone out there who would who would like to um, send it or something like it. You know, it doesn't have to be us, but well, I've been reading, you know, in preparation for this, I read a couple of reviews and listened to some um, some other audio interviews. 
and it seems like um, everyone is, or, or the theme is, oh, this is a novelty. This is this is so um, fun because it's unusual, and it is. But also, um, this is how things used to get carried to the West from the East. This is how the news came. This is how entertainment came. This is how trends came. Was every Western town, or you know, with a population of 150 or so or more, had an opera house. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and this one was 1910, and the one up in Telluride was, what, 1880s? I remember, you know, I played up there when it was all a result of the silver boom, and you you know, you read about, for God's sakes, Oscar Wilde, and, you know, other people coming out west, and Lily Langtree, and all those, and, and shows, and you were just talking about, what was it? There's one in Tombstone. Um, well, they they brought the musical, I, I don't know if they called it an opera, but they, yeah. it's, they definitely performed plays and, and singing and in it's in it was in a saloon hall, but they had a stage and they had the the chairs and the, you know up in the as well in Silver City in New Mexico. I'm hoping that we might do it's, it's like a bar too. And and there's also a um I mean my grandmother, you know, she's Methodist, she was they, they had the Chautauquas. It wasn't just a a place right. like in Western New York or on New Jersey Shore, which where they but they sent them on the circuit. And as you know, so people got their their lectures in addition to their entertainment from from real people, um, who presumably you know you ran into at the bar later that night or in the morning before they went to the next town, um, and it wasn't just a, a one way feed, the way you know everybody's getting their news today. Um, Which I think you know I don't think digit the digital digital age is not going away. This is the new world where we're doing this sort of interview on on Zoom. But what you've just described and what you've already accomplished, I think, um, you know, and even with Nick talking about um, breaking down the fourth wall, going back to the way it used to be, these forgotten things of how we used to be as communities that enabled us to um, to be real with one another and to be in touch and to not be socially distanced, ironically. Are being resurrected because we need to be socially distanced and we need to be yeah. small. And I, I'm really excited by the potentials of a, a global uh, movement toward locality and being small and local, aided by you know digital technologies. And and this is this is to me I think the the, the leading edge of something bigger. And it it possibly could change the way that we even govern and create policy, at least, you know, in Mancus, where you guys are fighting over water and land. I think it has to start just, you know, just Silicon Valley with whether or not they, I think it has to start bottom up rather than top down, even if you're using that new top down technology. You know, I don't think, I, I, I just, I guess that's that's my instinct is that, and as I mentioned before, I've, I've had these examples of of people living a life in in relation to their immediate community, and 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 that's where you you know you insist on decency, and um, mm -hmm. and um, and that's where you can, that's where you have to meet, that's where you have to talk, and that's um, and I think this is. Um, I think it's where it's got to start. So I, there's a sense in which I, I believe in small and how how you make small, how you you know how you 
do the thousand points of light or whatever you want to call it, you know, or it, that's funny. I've never thought of a thousand points of life and it takes a village are both the same kind of, same kind of thing from different walks, different yeah. ends of the political spectrum, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, uh, but I think, you know, we've, I think the, the quality of the, of the experience that we've had and that each of us who have taken part or, or been in the audience for, I think it's, it's, it's the, it's the depth of the experience, which will last longer, I hope, than the fact that it was a, just a little bit of an experience for 10 times as many people, you know, yeah. I, I guess that's, that's the way I kind of go at it. Well, I don't have any other questions or, or uh, comments on this. Um, we just lost oh. Lynn. Oh, okay. What you got there, Lynn? This is Ryan's grandfather. Um, I don't. Can you see it? Okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, he he wore a cowboy hat. He was a veterinarian, and he was a rancher. And so you know, that that's Ryan's background. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and the other and the other side was a was a tenor and a, and a businessman, <laughs> so, but uh, see that yeah, part I didn't know. So but the, uh, but um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, we all, I mean, even, even a number of people are, are, you know, that many, gen you're, you're yourself, what, two generations of, of away from the West and, and, uh, but I think that, I think, you know, I'm, I've, I've been a big believer that, that, you know, you don't live in your history, but it, it's the more it informs you, it's uh, it, the more you're likely to be able to, you know, create the next stage with, you know, in a way that uh, is is creative in the best sense of the word, you know. Well, I think the way to wrap that up for, for me then is to say, you know, we maybe don't live in our history, but certainly if we allow it, the history that lives in us can inform us about where we can go in the future. And the thousand points of light versus the it takes a village, one being Reagan's and one being Hillary Clinton's. Um, I I don't want to get too schmaltzy, but really it's too, you know, we're, we really are, even though we're in the extreme right now in this country, we really are, I think we're all very centrist. And I think Americans tend to just want to get along and, and you know, be nice to each other generally, and, and we do understand that community is where things happen, and you have to look people in the eye, and so therefore you need to be accountable and be nice to one another and be respectable and be respectful. And uh, I, again, I go back to that sense of optimism I have that very beautiful and historically accurate things <laughs> of of uh, will result from what's happened after this year. This year has been difficult, to say the least, in so many ways for so many people. But having a conversation like this, where we can say, well, you know, what has happened in the past historically, and how do we review it in a way that makes it meaningful, and not have it be told to us, oh, in the old days, or this is what it used to be, but actually, no, this is how my family lived it. This is how your family lived it. This is how our community lived it. And what did we lose? Why did we lose it? And how can we bring it back? And so the idea of a traveling opera 
to the West and people thinking it's a novelty. It's only a novelty because we made it one. At one time, it wasn't a novelty. It was the way. And maybe sometimes we forget that we already have the solutions to the problems that we think are unsolvable. And yeah, and I think it's 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 not nostalgia. It's it's allowing allowing that tradition or or or, or history to inform the next step. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm really. I'm really happy to have this conversation with you, Whitney. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm very delighted to have this conversation and to have also made your acquaintance, Lynn. And you said you're originally from Arizona. So when you were talking about Tombstone, I was like, oh, that's right. You're from Arizona. So you bring the perspective of the real deep West and then also the mountain West. Well, I just love the West. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see you. You're the one who keeps saying, you, what, what's, what's, your, what's your phrase? It's, it's a perfect, perfect day in paradise. Perfect day in paradise. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and I remember another thing that Perry, your husband, says, you know, we, no one in Manca's ever starved. Yeah. Mm. You know, but there's, because, and basically it's because, you, you know, you know, there's going to be somebody there for you. Right. Right. And that's the way it should be. Well, thank you so much. This was delightful, and and I appreciate your candor, both of you. And and um, of course, you know, the opera itself is what made us connect. But I think the larger the larger point to the conversation is that we have more in common than than we think in terms of being American and and wanting to do the things that we all want to do with finite resources. And uh, and I'm going to hang my hat on that. Okay. All right. Good thank you. Good deal. Well, thank you, Whitney.